0: We're having a good weekend. We should happy. We should have some happy Wolverine and Spartan fans in here. We had some big victories uh, yesterday, and so uh, I don't know if the Lions will make it a clean sweep. Probably not. If you ever watch the Lions, if you know anything about the history of the Detroit Lions, we don't win a lot of football games. But that's okay. That's okay. That's why we come together today before Lions games in order to encourage one another. So we're not just standing there, just you know, just depressed and uh, and 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 it's and, and sad as we go throughout the rest of our day. I don't know if you guys noticed, but the, I think fall is in the air, isn't it? Uh, you know, I think it's supposed to be like 80 today, and then I was looking at the weather as I was getting off the plane yesterday, and I think uh, Wednesday's supposed to be like 59 or something, and so I think fall is officially here, and so it's going to be getting chilly, and so uh, we're going to have to start getting those soups going, and uh, we should probably have like a uh, a potluck soon, right? Where we could do a, 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 a chili cook off. Have we ever done a chili cook off here? Yeah. Well, you haven't done it in the two and a half years I've been here. <clears throat> so I'm just saying, like a chili cook off, I could go for some chili. So I'm just saying. And uh, so let, let's open our Bibles this morning as we continue on in our uh, series of Second Peter. We're going to be in Second Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 2. We're going to get started uh, at the beginning of this chapter. If you remember uh, the last couple of weeks as we started to go throughout 2 uh, Peter in the series of sermons, and we looked at the inspiration of God, we've looked at the importance of, uh, of eyewitness testimony and why that is so very important. Last week we started to touch on the idea of false teachers. We're going to continue that theme uh, as we go throughout 2 Peter in chapter 2 here today. And it's so very important because since the word of God is the source of our faith, we need to understand that uh, Peter wants to reassure Christians in this letter. He wants to reassure them in a time of great persecution. Uh, he wants to assure them in a time of, of, of false teaching and falling away. Uh, this was the time that when uh, Nero was about to start his, uh, his uh, persecution of the church, which he started in about 65 A.D. We know that uh, before uh, Roman uh, persecution, we know that there was the Jewish persecution. We know that uh, uh, the Jews persecuted those who were converting to Christianity, especially for the first 10 years of the church. We realize and know when you study out history that those first 10 years, it was Jews that were converting, uh, um, persecuting the church because it was the church went first out to the Jews. And then that first 10 years, they had a lot of their family members and friends who converted to Christianity. And so you had people who had to leave their homes and leave their villages uh, because they were disowned by their family. Because they thought they were forsaking the God that they worshipped. And so when we look at Second Peter, 2 Peter is a letter of inspiration to encourage us to know that there's hope. To know that we should stay the course no matter the persecution. And so here in chapter 2, we're going to look at how we can have assurances how that we can be confident in our faith as we go through this, even though persecution is on the doorstep, even though false teachers are are, are going throughout the various churches, uh, inside the church and outside the church, we're seeing these false teachings. And it's something that when you really look at uh, what he wrote and who he was writing to, these early Christians, it's very similar to what we experience here in the 21st century. And since the Word of God is the source of our faith, as well as the foundation for our spiritual growth, what do we know? We know that Satan is going to do what? He's going to target the Word of God. And he's going to try to confuse humanity as to what the teachings are and what the Word of God teaches. Do you think we have a problem with uh, confusion in the church? Do we think we have a problem with confusion in Christendom, and I use that worldly from a worldly sense? Did you know there's 25,000 variations of Christianity throughout the world? Do you think Satan has done a good job of confusing mankind as to what the Word of God says and what it teaches? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody about the Bible and they'll say something like, it's your interpretation. Really? That's actually what the book says. I was talking with a couple people this morning and we were talking about the Bible and we were just talking about how Even in the Lord's Church, there's many churches that are going astray. One of our members was just traveling down through Tennessee, and they stopped and I think they visited in a congregation. Mm -hmm. And it was said there that the elders of that congregation are going to start to, uh, they've studied it out, and they're now going to allow women's roles in the church after their studies. Mm -hmm. And so we simply asked the question, well, what did they study? They didn't study the Bible, because if you studied the Bible, you wouldn't have women's roles. And this was just like a week or two ago. And so, What do we know? We know there's a great falling away, but we shouldn't be surprised because, well, the apostles, and through the Holy Spirit, they warned us that these things were going to happen. The apostle Paul, he called the Ephesian elders to himself in Acts chapter 20, and I think it's like 28 through 30, and he called them to himself, and he warned them that there is going to be a great falling away, and men from amongst your own ranks, the elders, the shepherds, are going to look to draw people away after them, after their own... uh, uh, fleshly desires and uh, emotional type teachings. You know, you could talk to somebody about the scriptures and you could talk to them about uh, let's just say there was a verse in the Bible that said uh, man, it's a beautiful red house on the corner with luscious green grass and you could tell somebody that passage and say, well, that's your interpretation. Well, no, it's either a red house or it isn't and it's either lush green grass or it's not. You know, people use that same thing when you talk about Abortion, when they talk about homosexuality, when you talk about very, a bunch of various sins that we know that the Bible specifically says if you do these things, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It talks about forgiveness. If you, for, if you refuse to forgive sins, then you will not enter the kingdom of God because the Heavenly Father will not forgive you. But you talk to these people about these black and white teachings and they'll say, "That's no, that's your interpretation. No, that's actually what the book says. It's not an interpretation. And so we have to understand that, brethren, we need to stand up for the faith. We need to stand up for the truth, the word of God. The Bible says, do not add to or take away. There's like a dozen passages between the Old and New Testament that teach about these things. And so one of Satan's attacks that he's going to use against the church against the church, is to implant or embed false teachers within the body of Christ. And brethren, he's done that. And he's done that for 2,000 years. And that's why when we study out the scriptures... Every book of the uh, of the New Testament, outside of the Gospels, is warning against false teachers. And so Paul or Peter is writing this letter, 2 Peter, to encourage them to stay the course, to let them know that they can be reassured of the things that they have been taught, that they can have they can have confidence in the basis of their faith, and they can have uh, confidence in their spiritual growth based on the Word of God if they stay true to the Holy Scriptures. So as we think about that in that opening. Uh, really monologue, if you will. If you uh, turn your... Oh, let's get this going. If you turn your Bibles now to 2 Peter chapter 2, let's get started in uh, verses 1-3 through 3 this morning. This was the, uh, the scripture reading that Randy read this morning, but I want to go over it again because we need to dive in and look at this a little deeper. It says in verse 1, But false prophets also arose among who? The people, Christians, the church, just as there will also be... False teachers among you. I actually I misrepresented that. When you look at verse one, it says, "But false prophets also arose among the people." That was talking about the Old Testament. It was talking about the fathers. And then it goes on, just as there will also be false teachers among you, among the church, among Christian leaders, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing swift destruction. (coughs) Bringing swift destruction upon themselves, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Brethren, you look at Second Peter chapter two. You look at these first three verses, and what do we see here? We see that the nation of Israel had false prophets who had tried to lure the people into idolatry. Yes or no? Absolutely they did. And they also uh, tried to get them to serve uh, false kings and uh, for prophets. We think, of, uh, we think of the prophet Balaam when we think of that as one of them. And Peter cautions that in the same way that lying teachers will come into the church of Christ and to introduce false doctrines to do what? To bring people, to cause people to fall away. To get them to start to question their beliefs. And to start to question what the scriptures say. And so when you look at the scripture here this morning, we have to understand that unfortunately, many Christians in the past as well as today, continue to be overtaken by false teachings and false teachers. You're looking at a man who stands before you this morning, who spent 30 years at the feet of false teachers. And it wasn't until I met my wife, and I met her grandfather when he was still alive, and he challenged me. He drove up from Cincinnati, and he challenged me as to my beliefs. He challenged me with the word of God. And he didn't do it in a mean-spirited way. He did it in a kind and gentle manner, as we're called to do with reverence. And so he asked me five questions. And he said, Dave, if you can answer these five questions, then he goes, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you my, my blessing to marry my granddaughter. And I said, no problem. I had no idea what the Bible taught. But I had Google on my side. You can find anything on Google. I didn't know anything. You know, you know, when you're in your early 20s, you know what I mean, and you meet somebody, and, and then you, 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 they, they challenge you with different things, where's the first place you go when you're trying to find information? You go to Google, and so I looked it up, and he says, but do me a favor. He goes, when you find answers, I want you to give me answers that are, that are uh, in the scriptures. I want you to give me book, chapter, verse. I don't want you to come to me with a blog or an opinion piece. I want you to actually show me what the Bible says. Well, he asked me questions that, well, are, you can't find the answers for those questions in the Bible. And so that started me on a journey because it, it set up red flags like I would hope it would do for anybody. Why aren't there answers to these questions? Well, because I sat at the feet of teachers for a long time, uh, two thirds of my life, they actually made up man made rules. And they would add those and they would force those upon the parishioners (laughs) in the Catholic Church. And they would do that and they say, well, We have uh, authority to God to do these things. And so if you have questions, you just come and talk to us, the priest, and we'll let you know what you need to know. And for most of my life, I did that. Well, that was an awfully convenient system that they had put in place, was it not? To not look to the Bible, to not look to the truth, but to come to me and I'll tell you what you need to know. So why do I say all that? Because Satan has done a great job of embedding false teachers within the various churches, or within the various denominations, and they're teaching things they ought not to teach. Men who wrestle with the scriptures, always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth, it tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 that we were talking about this morning. And so, brethren, when you look at the scriptures here today, these Christians are going to be led away into a life of sinfulness. That false teaching breeds. I can't tell you how many times I drive by churches now and they got gay pride flags outside. That's a problem. Why is that a problem? Because the Bible tells me that if you're involved in some form of homosexuality or perverse sexuality, and I'm not just picking on homosexuals this morning, I'm here to tell you the heterosexuals are in the same boat. I've said you guys have heard me say this multiple times there's more heterosexual sin in the world than there are even homosexuals and so we understand that neither one of those two people who are that are in heterosexual or homosexual sin are going are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It says it's not going to happen. It tells us in the book of Hebrews that God is going to judge uh, those who defile the marriage bed right and that could be either way. And so when we look at the scriptures here this morning, many Christians in the past are being led astray by these false teachers as well as here in the 21st century. And we know that I just give that one example because it's so prevalent in society today. When we think of homosexuality and how it's being pushed on us as some form of normalcy in a normal lifestyle and that we can't even use pronouns anymore and we can't even call people what they are by the the gender of their birth because, well... They have come to a higher understanding in that, you know, everybody gets to choose what they want to be, well, sometime during their given life. And so, brethren, what do we understand? We understand that God has made man and woman. God has created man to leave his mother and father, to cleave to his wife, to become one flesh, and to raise up children, and to have offspring, and to raise them up uh, according to the ways of God. And so, if we are to do that, we have to teach them. All that God teaches. We have to teach them the whole oracles of God. And so these Christians are being led astray. And they're being led astray. And we know that it goes on to tell us in the next two verses. And through verses 4 and 6. Notice what it says. There it goes. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment... And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought them, uh, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who live ungodly lives. Thereafter, well, what do we see in verses four through six? What we see there is it's speaking about judgment. For Peter mentions that those who uh, he he mentions in those two those three verses, those who have been judged in the past. He, he mentioned it as a reminder because there were many who thought because so much time had gone by that God wasn't going to come or that God wasn't going to bring judgment upon them. So that way, Peter reminds us that God did not uh, withstand even judging his angels. He judged them and punished them for leaving their positions and for aspiring to become greater than God. And for trying to, 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 to do a coup or to try to overcome God. And, his, uh, and they rebelled against his authority. The ancient world is mentioned and how it was wiped out because of widespread wickedness. Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned because of, uh, of the, it was destroyed because of their perverse sexual imm- uh, immorality, along with other sins. And so what's the point here when you look at verses 4 through 6? If Christians who fall away doubt the judgment, and if they doubt the punishment that, uh, that, that is going to come upon them, all they have to do is look to history. All they have to do is look to the Old Testament. How God didn't spare his wrath upon the angels. How he didn't spare his his wrath upon the, uh, the ancient world. How he didn't spare his wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Because God had said and told us exactly what sin was. There was law and there was... Uh, his commands that went out in the, in the patriarchal dispensation, in the Mosaic dispensation, and in the Christian dispensation. And no matter which dispensation you live under, you will be judged under. Yeah. And so that is why when you study out the New Testament, uh, or the Old Testament, and you look, or even actually you study out the Gospels even, and you look at the life of Christ... You know, and we were talking about in Bible study this morning after he healed one of the lepers. He says, go and offer a a, a payment and offer sacrifice. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that was commanded under the law of Moses. Why? Because that was the law in which they lived. And so he sent him to do what that person was called to do. And so, brethren, we need to understand that that we should all look to the past. We should look to the past for learning and for understanding. Because if we don't learn from the past, we're we're doomed to repeat it. And that's why we have to learn from history. Because all the rebellious and unrepentant people were punished because of the great sin in their lives. And we know that God has told us in Acts chapter 17 that the times of ignorance are now over. He desires and calls on all mankind, all people everywhere to do what? To repent! Repent of what? Repent of the sin in your lives. Where do we learn about sin? In the scriptures, in the New Testament. Why the New Testament? Because we, are, we don't live under the Old Testament. The Old Testament was nailed to the cross. And so we live according to the law and the rule under the law of Christ and the new covenant. And so now you get to verses 7 through 9 and it says in 2 Peter chapter 2. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of principled men... For by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day by day after the deeds of the the lawless deeds that he's seen going on. And then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and how to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. You look at those couple of verses and Peter declares, brethren, he declares that God not only knows how to punish, but God, he knows how to save. God deals with both the obedient and the disobedient in the times of evil and the times of temptation. For example, Lot it tells us was surrounded by evil. He was a man of God who was surrounded by evil, and God's help was there and able to assist him to deal with and to overcome the pressures that were, and, and ultimately that, uh, that 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 ability for him to overcome. And to stay faithful to God gave him the ability to be saved and spared from destruction. The others around him were what? They were destroyed because of their widespread wickedness and sexual immorality. And so, brethren, the application for the here in the 21st century is what? It is that even though we will face false teachers, as well as various trials and tribulations, even though we're going to face peer pressure, God will give all those who are faithful a way out. He will give them a way of escape. The same God who has the power to punish the evil ones is the same one who has the power to sustain us. All who are faithful has the power to sustain us and give us the ability to overcome any temptation and peer pressure that we face. But it all begins and ends in the word of God. It begins and ends in understanding what the scriptures teach. And that's just like when Jesus was tempted, and we were looking at. uh, And two weeks ago, we were looking at Luke chapter four in our Sunday morning Bible study. What do we see? Well, we see that Jesus was uh, taken into the wilderness in temptation, and when he was taken into the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. And what did he do? He rebuked him with Scripture all three times. And so, when temptation and peer pressure come into our lives, and it's going to happen, and if it hasn't happened already, be on the lookout. It's coming. We're all going to face times of peer pressure and temptation. But how do you handle them? Are you able to turn to Scripture to learn as to what the Word of God says, how we're to deal with it? Or do you just offer an emotional response? And now we look at the next passage of Scripture. And uh, the next passage of Scripture that I want you to notice, brethren, is how that we are to deal with these things. Don't forget that God has already told us in chapter 1, it's on the screen behind me in verse 5 through 7, how we're to deal with this. He says, now for this reason also, he goes. I want you to apply all diligence, and in your faith, I want you to supply moral excellence, and moral excellence, knowledge, and knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness, love, brethren. We need to understand that when we we need to make sure that when we practice our spiritual discipline, that we develop a, a, a deeper, stronger faith. When we practice our faith, and when we put the teachings of God into practice, we become more discerned, more understanding of what the Scriptures teach. And so now when we look at the, the next half of this letter, or the next half of this chapter, and we get to ch- verses 10 through 22, Peter's going to finish this chapter with a long description of the character, the action, the attitudes of who? Of false teachers. That has that has and will continue to plague Uh, God's church until Jesus returns. Notice what it says now in verse 10 and 11. And especially those who indulge the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they face, uh, when they revile angelic majesties. Uh, Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Brethren, you look at those couple verses. What do we notice? Christians who fall away who fall away along with their false teachers are sensual, meaning they're carnal in nature. Well, what do we mean by carnal in nature? We simply mean that they're worldly. And so they hate authority, whether it's human authority or spiritual authority. Do you think we have a problem with that today in society? Do you think we have a problem with that in the church today? Are there individuals who are falling away from the teachings of the, of the church, falling away from the teachings of God, who, who despise authority, whether it's human or spiritual? Brethren, that is something that is so widespread, but it's nothing new to us. As Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And the things that we face here today are the same things that were happening in the early church 2,000 years ago. And they teach falsely, brethren. We understand that these false teachers are teaching, uh, they're perverting the word of God, and they ridicule spiritual things and there's so many people who are not willing to give in to obedience, that are not willing to submit. We have people in the church who still struggle and refuse to submit to their spouses, even though that's biblical. We have people in the church who still refuse to submit to the shepherds, the elders of the church, even though that's biblical. Why? Because they despise authority. They want their voice to be heard. They don't want to be in submission to anybody, whether it's spiritual or physical. And so, brethren, we need to make sure that when we look at Peter's teachings here in the second chapter, that we understand that Peter says that the angels who could destroy these people in an instant didn't utter a word against them. Why? Because they know the judgment belongs to the Lord. But what we can do is that we don't pronounce judgment onto anybody's eternal destination. But I absolutely could judge the fruit in your life you got good fruit? Are you producing good fruit or bad fruit? And if you're producing bad fruit, I could judge that bad fruit. Who gives me that authority? God. Because he tells us that we're to judge with righteous judgment. Judge what? Judge the fruit that comes from your life, whether well-lived or not so well-lived. God says when you stand before me in judgment, you're going to give an account, whether good or whether bad, based on the deeds in your life. Based on the life that you lived and the things that you did. And then you get to verses 12 through 14. And he tells us. But these things, brethren, like unreasoning animals. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will end the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. He's talking about the false teachers. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to party in the daytime, and they are stains and blemishes, delighting in their deceptions as they party with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. You look at verses uh, 12 through 14 there. And Peter is telling us that these people are not confused. They know what they're doing. And they enjoy it. The people who are telling people that it's okay to live homosexual lifestyles and they're creating churches and they're welcoming everybody in under the umbrella of emotionalism. Brethren, they know the truth. But they don't care. The Catholics know that they made thousands of rules that are outside of the word of God. But they don't care. Why? Because they are false teachers. And God tells us that false teachers were going to enter into the church from the infancy of the church all the way through its history. But we know, brethren, that God is going to allow those who continue on in the faith, continue to remain faithful. They're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. They're going to receive a crown of life. And so what do we see, brethren? We understand that when you look at the false teachings that are so prevalent in society, these individuals have had people call them on their false teachings. But they'll turn around and they'll say something, like I said in the beginning, well, that's your interpretation. No, it's not an interpretation. It's literally what the book says. Did you know there's like a half a dozen passages in the New and in the Old Testament that talk about not adding to and not taking away from the Word of God? Well, where do they find justification to add to the word and take away from the word when God says that if you do so, you'll be rebuked and you'll be found a liar. And there's no liars who are going to heaven. It tells us that plainly in scripture, that all liars and murderers and the sexually immoral will not enter the kingdom of God, along with many other individuals. Brethren, we look at these uh, passages of scripture and we know that these false teachers along with all of their disciples are doing what they're preying on and seducing unstable, immature Christians. And when I say immature Christians, I'm talking about new Christians. Those who are babes in Christ, they're immature because they, they just don't know what they don't know yet. And so they're hearing these people who speak elegantly. Have you ever watched any of these, uh, uh, these teachers on TV, these preachers on TV? Some of them, man, they're good speakers. They're very interesting. They, they speak well. They, they talk well. But you know what they don't do? Preach the truth. Joel Osteen's a great life coach. He don't speak any truth. But he'll encourage you to your blue in the face. But he's a, he's a teacher of wrath. He's a teacher of condemnation. And the people that sit at his feet, if they don't turn away from, from those false teachings, and if they don't turn to God and they don't repent, they're in danger and their souls are in danger. And so it's it's, it's up to people like us to take the truth out into the world. To let our friends and family know that they're in danger. That there's a better way. And that what they're doing is, is, is against the edicts of God. Is against the commands of God. And so brothers and sisters, Peter compares these false teachers and their students, their disciples. He compares them to scabs. He compares them to blemishes in the following passage we just looked at. And the, versus those who follow the truth. And so their constant motivation is sin. They know what they're doing, and they do it anyways. And then you get to verse 15 and 16. And in verse 15 and 16, it says this. And my clicker's not working. Jim, hit the next slide for me. Thank you. And it says in verse 15 and 16, Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, uh, Balaam the son of Beor, Who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke from his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of of this once prophet. And Peter compares false teachings. When you look at those two verses, he compares those false teachings and their followers to the prophet who was enticed by what? By money. He allowed greed and covetousness to overtake him. So much so that he looked to destroy the people of God in the Old Testament, and it was Balaam's greed, brethren, that overcame him on another occasion, and he died a miserable death. It tells us in Numbers chapter thirty-one. But then you looked at verses seventeen through nineteen as we get to the closer to the end of this lesson, and in verses seventeen through nineteen, notice what it says now: These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the blackness of darkness have been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved." You look at verses 17-19, through and Peter explains what some of the false teachers were doing at the time of his writing. They were telling these new converts, these babes in Christ, the ones who had barely escaped the world, it says in those verses, that they could be good Christians, that they could be pleasing to God, and still enjoy the sinful nature of their pleasure, the sinful pleasures of the flesh and of their former lives when they were outside of Christ. They're trying to convert them to their thought process, to their way of thinking, because that's what Satan does. He tries to confuse people. He tries to uh, to get them to believe the error that they're being taught, and that it's okay if they continue on in, in the sin that they did before, that it's not true that they don't have to repent. It's kind of like Satan when he was in the garden and then he was talking to Eve and Satan says, so tell me, you know, what did God say? And she says, well, we're not to eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden because in the day that I eat of it, we will surely die. And he says, no, you won't surely die. God just knows that when you eat of it, you're going to become like him. The problem was God wasn't talking about physical death. God was talking about spiritual death. And yes, you could go ahead and you could eat the fruit of sin, brethren, and you could eat that fruit and you could enjoy it and you could do that to the day you die. And you'll li- probably live a long life in your sin. But eventually you're going to stand before a holy and righteous God and you're going to give an account of your life as it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. And so brethren, the result was that those without knowledge, without self-control, they were going back to the things that they were enslaved in. They were listening to these false teachers and they were uh, those who had been rescued by the teachings of Christ were then going back into the world and living lives that were uh, uh, that were a dishonor to God. Living lives that spit on the covenant and on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and brethren these false teachers were promoting their ideas with seductive preaching high minded words that seemed intelligent. That simply means they were trying to flatter people with, the way, with, their, with their powerful words and their powerful antidotes and their stories and their parables. And they seemed intelligent because they were talking to babes in Christ who had not yet come to know the knowledge of the truth, who have not been able to learn how to discern uh, right from wrong when it comes to the word of God. And these false teachers were promoting a false sense of freedom. And in fact, the idea that they could have their cake and eat it too. You know, I was talking to people in my past and, and here just not too long ago. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked to somebody about various teachings of various churches. And they wanted their cake and eat it too. And they, and we talked about abortion. We talked about sexual immorality. We talked about so many different things. And they said, well, if that's what your God teaches, then he's not my God. If that's what your God teaches, then I, then I don't want him to be my God. But even though I could show you scripture... And I can back up what I say with the word of God. You don't want to hear it. Why? Because they've been seduced by the high-minded words, by the seductive preaching and teaching that allows them and encourages them to, to react to emotionalism. And so God's a loving God that would never send us to hell. God's a loving God and he, does, he doesn't want to punish anybody. He's like Grandpa God. Boys will be boys. It's okay, brethren. It's not okay. If God punished the angels and cast them out of out of out of heaven, what do you think He's going to do to us here on Earth? If God destroyed the ancient world except for uh, except for eight individuals, what do you think He's going to do to us? If God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of the great perverse. Uh, sexual immorality that was taking place along with other sins? What do you think he's going to do to us who refuse to repent? Brethren, we need to understand that sin does not set a man free. Sin keeps us in bondage. Have you ever known anybody that struggles with drugs or alcohol? Have you ever met anybody or know somebody who struggles with pornography, violence, greed, covetousness, selfishness, sexual immorality? You know anybody who struggles with any of those things? Do they feel set free or do they feel like they're in bondage to their sin? I want you to look at this last passage of scripture as we get ready to close this lesson down. Thank you, Jim. When we look at this last passage of scripture, it sets it it sets the it sets the tone for this lesson. And I want you to see because if you've ever had a dog and you've seen your dog do this, then it's a vivid image. Notice what it says that you're like if you reject the word of God, you turn away from God, and you go back to living a life of sin. 2 Peter chapter 2, we end with 20, for, 20 through 22. For if after, they have in, if after they have escaped, who's they? Christians! For if after Christians have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled in them and are overcome... The last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would be better for them to not have no in the way of righteousness than to have no in it to turn away from the holy commandment that was handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Brothers and sisters, that is a visual. If you've ever seen that, that is disgusting. And God says through the Holy Spirit, Peter says through the Holy Spirit, that that's what Christians are like to God. You remember in the the third chapter of Revelation, when it was talking about those who were hot or those who were cold? He says, I wish you were hot for me. Or I wish you were cold, meaning I wish you would just flat out reject me. He says, but because you're lukewarm, you make me sick. And essentially, he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. He says, you make me want to vomit. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying through John the Apostle in Revelation chapter 3. And so you look at the closing of this letter. You look at his warning. Peter points to these false teachers and reveals that they will be punished. They will be punished along with those who allow themselves to be seduced by sin. Be seduced by false teachers. And by not standing up for the word of God or adhering to the word of God, but allowing themselves to easily be led astray. We must be on the outlook for false teachers, brethren, because they come in all shapes and sizes. Some of the false teachers are obvious. And they use religion as a cloak in order to to gain political or social power, in order to gain wealth or prestige. But there's other ones that are more like moles who spread their false ideas one person at a time. You'll find them in our, You'll find them in our schools today. You'll find them in our universities today. You'll find them in our churches today. You'll find them our, in our hobbies, in our recreational activities. Did you know they can look like family members? Did you know these false teachers can look like friends, coaches, teachers? co-workers, and many other individuals. Brethren, false teachers can be anyone who promote things that are contrary to God's holy word and his holy standard in order to get people to follow after them and their way of thinking. No matter if it goes against the word of God or not, they are all false teachers in the sight of God. When you reject God, you reject his moral absolutes, you reject his standards, You reject the church, you reject Jesus, you reject his holy sacrifice. Peter says that these types of false teachers are always preying on Christians, and we must keep our guard up, brethren, because I'm here to tell you that these false teachers, if they haven't already, they're knocking on the door of your faith. We need to guard our little children against all the the worldliness that has entered into our school system. They no longer just go to school to learn about English and math and science and history. Now they're being inundated with all forms of worldliness, definitely not godliness. They're being taught uh, sin in school, and that it is that it is righteous, and that it is that it is it is perfectly natural because God made people this way. Brothers and sisters, we need to be individuals, disciples of Jesus Christ, who are not afraid to stand for the truth, even if it brings us persecution. Amen. Even if it costs us a job. Even if it costs us family members. Even if it costs us friendships. Speak the truth. Never reject Christ Jesus. And as I was reading on the plane yesterday, as I was coming back from Tennessee, and I was uh, reading about church history, and I was uh, they, they were talking about uh, some of the martyrs. And when they were talking about Polycarp, and it was at the end of his life, he says, for 86 and six years, I have been blessed by the man that you are, uh, are encouraging me to curse. You want me to curse the man who has blessed me and taken care of me and provided for me for 86 years? He says, I'd rather, go, I'd rather go to my death than ever curse or reject my Christ Jesus and reject the sacrifice that he made on my behalf and the behalf of all mankind. And they burn him at the stake. Brothers and sisters, we need to not be afraid to stand up for the truth. And we must never be afraid uh, for speaking out the truth in fear of retaliation or persecution. If you're hearing this message this morning and you need the prayers of the church, let us pray for you. Let us know how we can pray for you. Come forward this morning. The shepherds will be up here this morning. I'll be up here. We'll pray for you and we'll help you in any way that we can. If you're here this morning and you've been away from the church for a while and you wish to to be restored to the church, you could do that. You know that you haven't been living a lifestyle that is uh, God-centered and God-first and come forward and ask for forgiveness. The elders will restore you to the church and God will forgive you. If you're here this morning and you are not a child of God and you wish to become a child of God, you wish to be baptized for the remission of your sins, you could do that this morning. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and God himself will add you to the kingdom. Come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.